Welcome back to another episode of Consciously Clueless. I'm your host, Carly, and I'll be your guide on this journey from consciousness to cluelessness and back around again. Today's guest is Claire Mann. She is an Australian-based vegan psychologist, communications trainer, and animal rights campaigner. She consults with people all over the world to help address the personal and social challenges of being vegan and living in a non-vegan world, and is the author of multiple books, including Vistopia, The Anguish of Being Vegan in a Non-Vegan World. Claire has been instrumental in my own journey to activism and veganism, and I'm so excited for you to hear this episode. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. I'm calling in from Sydney, Australia. Yes, I love that we made this work. It took me um, some triple checking on time zones that I was like, (laughs) okay, I did schedule this right, right? This isn't 2 a.m. or (laughs) anything. Yeah, that's right. I, I, these days I have a sort of um, typical calendar that does that for people in the time zones, because I think all of us work in so many time zones um, as this movement is growing. And, mm-hmm. um, and understandably, we sometimes get it wrong. Yes, that's very helpful. <laughs> so the question I really like to start with for people is just the podcast is called Consciously Clueless. And I wanted to create that to create this space to explore all the moments in between where we're feeling really conscious and with it and like we understand. And then those moments where we feel, oh, I don't know anything. I'm pretty clueless with this thing called life and everything in between. Um, So I'm just curious to know where in this moment right now today, you're feeling kind of on that spectrum of really conscious or a little more clueless. Yeah. What, what a great question. <laughs> Conscious and clueless. I, I love it. You know, I think all of us have to stay in a, a state of curiosity and unknowing. And mm. I think we're struggling with that at the moment. Where am I at the moment? Um, well, I'm pretty self-directed at the moment in channeling what I'm actually seeing happening in the movement, particularly around the polarization with the bigger issues that are happening in our world at the moment, Mm -hmm. whether that's about health or viruses or whether it's about freedom of speech um, Mm. and people losing the ability to think for themselves, censorship. And so I found a a way out to do that, which is to, which I can talk about later on the show is to find a a weekly outlet for that, to have those conversations with people, to try and take away dispel some of the myths that is is happening at the moment. Because if people feel utterly clueless and overwhelmed, Mm -hmm. of course, just bail out and I think at this time in our history we have to we're really getting a lesson in in what it is to live with an existential crisis which is uncertainty unknowing things are not going to go back to how they would be but for vegans we don't necessarily want them to do we no that's such an interesting way to put it because the person that I just had on the podcast this week um, the episode that was released this week at least talked about this idea of if you're trying to go back to something that was, there's nothing there anymore. We're at this moment where there's nothing to go back to, you know, it feels like there's this global awakening and the only way um, is forward. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think there never was a place to go back to. I think that's it. We, mm. we do certain things in life. We get to this nice little cozy corner. We go to a, a festival we've been going to for several years. We connect with our tribe and we think it's going to go on forever. And we want it to go on forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and always something will happen, you know. And I think that's part of our existential human condition. 
um, but to live in no longer and not yet, as I say. Oh, that's really lovely. Can you explain that a little more? Yeah, well, in order to explain it, really, I'm, I'm using the term existential all the time, but I think we need to really get a grasp of what that is, because it's used sort of generally in, in social media and in talks, but a lot of people really don't know what it is. Right. Um, I trained to be an existential psychotherapist and mm. over a period when I retrained at one stage over four years, because the philosophy of existentialism made a huge amount of sense to me. Now, it really is the philosophy of what it is to be, to what it is to exist mm. in the world. And to just give a little snapshot of the living with uncertainty imperative of that is what I call the um, acorn to oak. Mm. Now, for instance, if often we, we have a, a plan of what we're going to, to do in the world. So say, for instance, you want to create a podcast, as you have, mm. is you in your mind you're sitting over coffee with a friend and you get this great idea all, all ideas and great ventures begin in our minds and hearts mm. and then you put it down on paper and then you discuss it and it starts to take shape and then you do all the steps to actually make the podcast be born into the world mm -hmm. so it that's what we call acorn to oak in other words its essence preceded its existence it came mm. into existence but the essence and what it was as a vision and strategy for what you wanted was in your head beforehand. An existential view is the other way around. It says our, we come into existence and we come to know our essence through relationship, relationship with ourselves, our culture, our gender, our parents, our financial situation, our time in history, etc etc mm -hmm. however we we try to make things solid so we have things called families careers relationships gender but these are actually all to some extent social constructs because they're shaped right. within our social and cultural milieu um, and we spend the rest of our lives trying to we get sedimented beliefs of this is how life is and then suddenly life throws a curveball mm. we we lose our job our parents die we get sick we and become vegan <laughs> suddenly mm -hmm. everything we knew or it's we thought it was going to go in a certain way or we get divorced and we thought it was this was how life was and we're thrown into realizing the huge uncertainty globally we're living with that at the moment so we are we have to embrace the um existence to essence and instead of trying to go back how can we learn from this what is the, are the most important lessons for us to to create something very different because it wasn't working for a lot of people that is so beautiful to, to exist, to find our essence. It feels like that almost is a little more hopeful. Absolutely. Rather than saying, this is the normal way to be. This is what life's about. And there's no shortage of people telling us what it's about, from religious to philosophical to mm -hmm. atheistic views. But that's just a collection of people at some point made some decision we have those moments of anxiety when even if we have a belief system, we're still choosing it and we have those doubts and we go, well, what if that wasn't the case? And then we struggle to try and make it all certain again. What we thought the vegan community was, haven't we all been shocked how some vegans have behaved incredibly badly in mm -hmm. the last six months and attacked people and polarized and called them conspiracy theorists and others saying you're not taking it seriously or all sorts of things. So because mm -hmm. we're human beings and we're, you know, veganism is a, a, a symptom or, 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 or animal abuse, I believe, is an outcome of a wider way of looking at the world of, of superiority, really, and, uh, and oppression. Oh, wow. 
I think that that is a really good way to position that and um, takes it out of, I think I'm collecting my thoughts because I'm so overwhelmed with how (laughs) what you're saying feels so true to me. I think that a lot of times there's this defensiveness that comes up when we talk about veganism and people, or I mean, really any social justice movement where you learn that something you thought to always be true is not true. And that's really unsettling and that's really ungrounding. And then you kind of have this moment, which I did too, of like, I can't trust anything. Everything mm-hmm. I knew is a lie. What? And, and that moment I think is when I connected with you first. Mm-hmm. Um, so which feels like so long ago because it feels like you don't know what to do when you can't trust the systems you thought were true, especially when you've been living in privilege to benefit from those systems. So I think to call animal abuse just a symptom of like this larger thing in the world takes that individual guilt a little bit that people automatically feel and say, well, this is just like an issue that is, it's bigger than us. Yes. I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's, um, I think a lot of vegans believe, and I say this through, you know, my interaction with people is if we could just clean up the meat and livestock industry and the animal testing, that would, you know, people would start to see things differently. Mm-hmm. And I say to people, it's actually, we shouldn't be afraid of the meat and livestock industry at all, actually. They're very small relative to the pharmaceutical industry and how that pervades mm. every aspect of people's lives in animal agriculture culture so animal use i think in australia alone 80 percent of pharmaceuticals go into the production of meat eggs fish and chicken that's before you do testing cosmetics everything else and that's a really and that's you know what we're seeing now is the move towards the denial of choices of what we put into our own bodies in terms of yes. our healthcare or prevention of disease we're experiencing exactly the experience that animals have been subjected to and um, we've got to ask what bigger political issues are involved here um, because it's, there's a sort of crack starting to show in what's happening at the moment. Um, you know, nobody's talking about how we make our immune systems more robust. No one's talking about the minuscule numbers relative to the reaction to what's and the huge fallout and cost of what's happening with the, um, the viral situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I encourage vegans to say, well, remember the time when you became vegan? You couldn't believe you didn't know that you were still blinded. And I think we've got to be thrown even more into anxiety to go, well, guess what? I think the issue is even bigger now. It's because it's at all levels. We're being forced to look at, you know, anyone who looks at the mainstream media and accepts it wholesale is or even doesn't think there's another way. Um, is is mind-blowing to me because it's owned by six major corporations that actually have an agenda and they're a, a business. And so why would we expect them to be suddenly concerned about our health and well-being? Um, and so I encourage vegans to say, you've got to keep taking the red tablets here, guys, because mm-hmm. you look at it with animal cruelty, now you've got to realise that that was an aspect of this um, oppression and superiority by by certain groups, I would say, much higher than our governments. Well, and I think an interesting theme that was unexpected as I continue to talk to people who have become vegan is veganism for a lot of people seems to serve as the insert point into finding out about all these systems. And 
it definitely was for me because for me, veganism started with health and then it was kind of, oh, the environment. And then it was the animal piece that I was really knew was there, but I was avoiding because I didn't want to think about it. And then I thought that was kind of it. Those are the three pillars. But then it was, what about all of the workers in those places and the human rights issue? And, and it was just, there's so many other things mm. and that's where um, it's overwhelming, but it's also good to start to realize all those things overlap and they are all a part of it. And there's a domino effect. There's no single issue. Absolutely. And, you know, it's to do with consciousness, really. Mm -hmm. You know, how do we raise our consciousness to um, realize that everything we do, our thoughts, feelings, actions have an effect. And if we look at online of social media and things like that, of how easily vegans are behaving badly towards people they've stood in the front lines with. Um, I like to think it comes from fear, but I'm not sure it is. And the more I think about it, it's coming from you know, this deep set oppression that, and, and, and conformity to obedience almost. And we can't quite believe the chaos the world's been thrown into. Could at some level be a dark and dystopian reality? And I'm mm. not saying I've got the answers, but given what we've suddenly found out about right on our dinner plates every day, we saw it, it was in, hidden in plain sight. I believe there's a lot more hidden in plain sight. And we got a chance, I think, to every day in those conversations with people is you know am I adding to am I doing a conscious act or am I doing a violent act mm. you know harsh words quick dismissal shaming you know um virtue signaling for our own sort of sake are we doing that that's a that could be seen to be a violent act if it is to shame or embarrass someone else because someone hasn't quite sort of asked a big enough question or or, or so they haven't seen something we've asked ourselves and I think when we start to clean up our own act, it has a domino effect, but we can't do great things in the world if we haven't got our own house in order and we're thinking violent thoughts or prejudicial or superiority. We, we do it over our friends and over non-vegans, but we're now doing it to vegans because yes. they may be saying, oh, you know, why are you causing all these problems? This is, you know, let's sort this health situation we've got globally and then we'll get back to doing animal advocacy. Well, I think it's all related. Yeah, and I think that something I really have appreciated about following you and um, downloading the app that you have and going through some of those videos and resources, you have been really instrumental in my growth as a vegan and just to think as a human. Um, so I thank you for that. Oh, thank you. I, if I'm, I'm humbled and I'm just, you know, I've got a big smile on my face <laughs> because I think we all want to make a contribution to the world. And, and sometimes where we give out, we don't know where it comes back mm -hmm. and, and look, you know, maybe there was something I said or did and helped you and look at the effect you're now having in the world. And then someone listening here will go and do that. This mm. giant relay race around the world. So yes. Oh, I love that. I really the relay race. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. We just got to keep passing the baton. Yes. People. Just keep going. It can't lot. end. <laughs> That's right. I think that something I've really appreciated about connecting with you and, and following along and using your resources is how everything you just said, there always was this encouragement to meet people where they were at. And I definitely, there's a, there's kind of a, a joke that you'll find an angry vegan phase, but I definitely did. Like I just said, it was that like, oh, nothing is true. I don't know what to do. Why doesn't anybody hear me? 
why doesn't anybody understand? I get it now. Um, and what your resources have helped me do is take a step back and just focus more on communication and how to relate to people and meeting people where they're at. Because it took me how many years to figure it out. I can't expect every human around me suddenly to listen and change because I said so, but I wanted them to. <laughs> well, it's so obvious, isn't it? Once you actually see the cruelty, you can't believe people can't see it. And I think mm -hmm. I want to say, let's think back to when we didn't see it. You right. know, I've come clean about this and I've mentioned it on a few shows, I think, but I can remember living in London in the UK wearing fur. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a fur coat, but I had a bit of fur trim. And I've, over the years, I've thought, what was I doing? I didn't think for a moment that those animals had been deliberately, you know, massacred for that to happen. So what was I thinking? It was a byproduct. Somebody went in the forest and got these things and then we used it. Um, but, you know, there is that sort of willful ignorance in many ways. Mm -hmm. But I always say to people, if that was the case, if you know the, the ability of that, you've got to keep saying, what else don't we know? Mm. Uh, because you can't sometimes you just can't believe that you didn't know and but i think meeting people where they're at is particularly the topics they bring up so if someone's asking you about diet you know you don't want to launch in with slaughterhouse practices <laughs> you kind of need to get them there and, and i keep saying to people is you've got to go back to the ethics because mm. i mean let's just take game changers the, the fantastic documentary for yes. example isn't it wonderful? And then you have on the, is it the Joe Rogan show? There was someone lambasting it. And then they brought the director or the producer on. And I think he spent three hours or something giving, batting like for like with study after study. Well, if we're talking about, unless that's our particular area of expertise, someone is always going to come up with some study that does that. And it also is not what veganism is. It's a philosophical position. Whereas if we we say to people, I always say to people, the diet is the a whole food plant-based diet is the well-kept secret. Not only is it a possible diet, it is the most helpful diet when we do it properly. But that's a bonus. Yes, but yes. Keep going back to the ethics. You know, you and I would be living on French fries for the rest of our lives if that's all we could have. Mm -hmm. Abuse an animal. And But if we keep coming back to the ethics, then all the other stuff there... All the arguments are there. We just have to, but we may not, we can direct them to documentaries. And, but if they talk about diet, meet them where the diet, and then, and you can say, well, um, explain that to them where they get their protein or whatever, or where the you know, biggest <laughs> problem is getting too much protein. Probably, is, um, and they'll actually say, but you know, what I actually learned was a bigger issue is this is not really to do about diet or environment or you know, making animals bigger cage, it's a philosophical position. And like and other, you know, we can then move it into there and then we can give them all the links to, there's so many documentaries out there to explain the imperative of, of veganism from a practical point of view. Yes. So a term that you have coined, Vistopia, I read that book and um, felt like suddenly things made sense or there was there was a word to describe it could you talk a little bit about that term and and where that came from yeah ab absolutely if if i'd heard had a dollar for each person who said that i think i could fund peter and um, it's not because <laughs> i came up with the concept i came up with the word but vegans myself included immediately get it 
it's like that's exactly what it is this multifaceted um different complex and yet so simple concept of the waking up one day feeling like a stranger in the strange land and everything that just even walking through the shopping mall you see somebody drinking coffee they're no longer drinking coffee and having a laugh with a friend you see the bobby calf you see the abuse you see the mother grieving it just goes on and on mm-hmm. um i realized um you know in my advocacy and and having called myself a vegan psychologist logic because people were seeking out those services and saying well how can you understand me if you're part of the problem here it just such a personal level, what you eat every day, mm-hmm. is I realized we needed a word. And there was two reasons for that, is to give weight to the gravity and the complexity of what um, our experience is, that it wasn't just some sort of type of depression or anxiety or panic mm. attacks or despair in the world. It had, you know, people were coming to me and, and not, you know, I see people all the time and the non-vegan may come to me and we dig around for a long time trying to find out what is the source or the real reason they're depressed. When the vegan comes to you, they know why they're depressed. <laughs> they know, and they might have all of other life problems that they want to deal with. Fine. We'll dig around with that one. But they know because they realize this systematized cruelty towards animals that is normalized and everybody is merrily carrying on with their fancy dinners and um, mm. tucking into the flesh of the tortured souls. And the vegan goes, oh, my God, I know what I'm depressed. Don't try and put me on some sort of tablet. We don't want to stamp out empathy. And so I realized is I needed to give a word to help us to have a yardstick to say this is what it is and this is the elements of it. So that people, we didn't have to just say what it wasn't sort of thing. But the other element, which was more concerning to me, was the medical authorities starting to pathologize the vegan's plight. And saying that vegans either had eating disorders because they wouldn't eat the normal food. Some vegans might have eating disorders, but it's not because they're eating, not eating animals. Um, they also said they had um, social adjustment issues because they couldn't fit in with the norms of society. You know, God help us. You know, yeah. you know, if that's normal, I mean, goodness me, you know, that's where, how's that working for us? Yeah. And, then, <laughs> and the third one was the... Um, most troubling to me was that vegans and i'm talking ethical vegans here most people don't get severely distressed being told they've got a fussy diet is the is ethical vegans not choosing this and not be part of the problem they were saying that they had self-harming tendencies because they were deliberately watching slaughterhouse footage because they hated themselves and they were just beating themselves up low self-esteem now that really got my back up because i realized the power of those labels with also goes to pharmaceutical medication it's for some treatments and i thought no this is a, and then this my dear friend and colleague uh, dr michael clapper who people know him from what the health said and i've interviewed him a number of times claire this is a normal and desirable experience for a normal living feeling human being we definitely don't want to be stamping this out yeah so so utopia in a nutshell is the anguish we feel at knowing about the systematized cruelty towards animals and then when we tell people, instead of them going, oh, my gosh, I must change immediately. This is so obvious. This almost translates collusion with a dark and dystopian reality of which people don't even know they're part of, of which yes. you and I have been part of. And then we go, well, if I didn't know about that, what else don't I know? And then we're called a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, it is. And it's really ungrounding. It's really unsettling to hit that point and to be able to ask the question, what else do I not know? It's far easier to say, I don't want to know what I don't know. 
that's right. I've just got my life together. I just want to, you know, stop people being horrible to animals and get on with my life. And I want to, I want to feel normal again, whatever that means. But, you know, yeah. it is a, there's a cost of becoming vegan. The burden of knowing is huge. You know, we don't always have that naive lightness that might go with life at certain times if we're lucky enough in our life to get that. Where we go, oh, I just fancy going out for dinner with friends and going to the shopping mall and buying something new. It almost seems so trivial and frivolous. And and we almost don't allow ourselves that unless we're doing something of of importance in the world to stop the suffering. And there's that, that we have to grieve that, that naivety. But it's better to know then actually, I think to, un, to not know, because what are we here for? To entertain ourselves or to push things in the right direction? Mm, to entertain ourselves or push things in the right direction. That's a good question, because those are two very different paths in life. Absolutely. And at the moment, you hear people going, oh, I wish this viral thing would be over and done with and we can all get back to normal. Well, normality was only working and even then, in a limited way, behind closed doors, people's story of whether their lives are working or not is a very different one. I know that from years of working as a psychologist. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't working for a lot of people. I think it's nine out of ten people can't bear their jobs. Most people are st- struggling in a socioeconomic cauldron, doing three jobs trying to feed their children. Most people, you know, feel um, physically unwell. They're eating a diet that's killing them. Um, most people feel disillusioned and they feel pain, you know, um, we all feel pain. We've got the mm-hmm. ability to feel that. And so going back to normal, what was that? It was a very privileged position for many that might choose how to entertain is I don't want normality because I don't think it was working for a lot of people. And, and, and I want a vegan world as a moral baseline. So I definitely don't want normality. <laughs> That's so interesting that this concept keeps coming up for me because I do a solo episode every week as well, just a shorter episode. And this week's was literally titled why I don't want it to go back to normal because I just fantastic. I'm so sick of that phrase being thrown around. Oh, I can't wait for things to get back to normal. And, you know, also the sociologist in me is like, Oh, normal. What's normal. You know, what are, what are we defining that as? What was that for you? And I think that I just want that conversation to keep moving forward, that there's nothing, like we said in the beginning, there's nothing to go back to. I think you're absolutely right. And I think the biggest thing I'm finding vegans are struggling with at the moment is at some level, they want it to go back to normal. You know, we were doing so mm. well. We're, we're not advocating for animals now. Where are the cubes of truth? Where are the festivals? Where's the outreach? Almost as if we want to go back because we've decided the, criteria, the strategy that is going to get the world to be vegan. Mm. And that's why, and I'll share it with people if they'd like to come on to those webinars, is I, I realized that there was, we're moving to second stage dystopia. And I'm doing a video series, a video webinar series with a dear colleague of mine, who is a very learned friend and dear, wonderful, big eye opener, mm. um, known as the vegan maker in Australia. Um, but <laughs> and I'll tell you, I'll, I'll share him in a moment with his details. But, you know, we're running a, a webinar called Second Stage Vistopia. What else don't we know? Mm. And we're tapping into that dark and dystopian reality beyond the slaughterhouse, beyond the testing lab, which I think we are seeing in our world at the moment. 
because there's a narrative being shared throughout the world that we have this terrible pandemic, we have this terrible virus, we need a solution for it, and that anyone, you know, in that we need to listen to the authorities. It blows me away that vegans unwittingly question, unquestionably question health departments that the previous week before all this happened, they said, well, they're lying to 99% of the population and telling us to eat a diet and that's killing ourselves. So I'm not saying what they're doing is wrong or right, but I know that they're not the only voice we need to listen to. Right. And I'm saying to people is that at the moment, anyone who questions the narrative is being censored. And I'm talking thousands of medical professionals Mm. who are saying we need to look at this differently this our reaction is out of proportion to the threat and so i'm encouraging vegans to stand take more red pills and go well actually the problem is bigger than we thought and at the moment we're losing our freedom of speech it's um and our freedom of movement and our freedom of uh, we have lockdowns in, in in australia at the moment that are purely totalitarian and i don't say that lightly mm. it's tyranny people cannot leave their houses they are allowed an hour a day. A young girl of 28 was put into prison this week for six months for going across the border without permission and because she should have gone into quarantine. There are no laws that say this. This is pure tyranny. Um, oh. we ha you know, these are mandates, but the public are believing this. You're not allowed to. Children can be taken out of people's homes. Um, and there's so much censoring going on that we are losing our freedom of speech but also people questioning the reality that a virus has not even been pinpointed and separated. And the test, even by the person, the PCR test most commonly used to give us those numbers to result in governments acting um, in lockdowns and house arrests and, and prison imprisonment is the PCR test, the original founder um, back in the eighties who founded that, who got the Nobel prize said it should never be used for diagnostic purposes. And even on a PCR test, the person administering it, if they look at the piece of paper, it says you can't use this for diagnosis, diagnosis tests, largely because it's measuring DNA and RNA that many professionals feel is actually created by the body to ward off illness. So oh, wow. with such, see people don't know that, mm -hmm. um, is that's why we're inviting people to, to, to actually get, get out this censored information because we, if we lose our voice, animals won't have any voice. Mm -hmm. And uh, you didn't know that, did you, for instance? No. But the power that is being given, and this is a dark and dystopian reality, we have to, I'm not telling people how to think because I don't know the answers either. But what I do know is I need to, I'm wanting to help people learn how to, not what to think, how to think. Hmm. Because, you know, if we're fighting each other and saying, oh, he's a conspiracy theorist or it is a virus. Can we just get this all sorted out and go back to normal? We are giving away our power and we're doing a huge injustice to animals and certainly for the future of veganism. Oh, wow. That connection, I think, is I'm not seeing talked about enough mainstream at all at least in the united states yeah absolutely well it is being talked about but it's being censored and right. so if you try to look for instance the 16 frontier doctors who stood in front of the congress building in america in washington um talking about um you know alternative treatments or treatments that have worked beautifully for the past 60 years hydroxychloroquine i'm not i'm not a, a, a medical person and that's a thing i'm i'm not here to say what works and doesn't mm -hmm. when you have 16 doctors who were part of 600 doctors who came to a conference and within an hour or 30 minutes i think when that viral that when that video went viral were all censored all their websites were brought down 
and someone who then put them on one of their um, very robust web and, um, platforms called the highwire.com, um, I think it is, with Del Bigtree, um, he was completely deplatformed. Now I say to vegans, why would they, what are they trying to hide from us? These are medical people. And if they're telling wrong information and we know this scientifically and clinically, they should all be debarred from practicing. Right. But they're not. It's the media and it's social media, the technology companies that are banning them. When do we suddenly have these bodies making decisions about people that we put through enormous uh, yards to actually maintain their license and with that rights responsibilities that go with those rights. So I encourage people to, to, um, you know, what we're actually doing is I've come together with a dear colleague of mine who is Mark Donadu, mm-hmm. um, who is the founder of world vegan day in Melbourne, Australia, one of the biggest festivals that's run for mm. many years. I think it's at one stage it went up to 20,000 people. Oh, um, Wow. He is known, and he, he's very, very humble. When you see him on the webinar, you'll realize this. He, they know him as the vegan maker because you put him on a board of people with scientists and he influences more people to become vegan because his knowledge of food and what happens into the body. He's not a doctor. He's actually, he was originally a mechanical engineer. Which, hmm. But when we actually look back, one of the biggest influencers of diet and health in the plant-based space was a mechanical engineer. It was Pritikin who influenced the the grandmother who, who um, of Mike, Dr. Michael Greger. He was he was oh my a, a doctor, and actually it was a lifestyle medicine person who would put in, in contact with Dr. Michael Greger's grandmother, and she instead of being in a wheelchair in her sixties and never walking again, went on to live I believe to her nineties on a whole food plant based diet. And Dr. Michael Greger mm-hmm. of nutritionfacts.org, that's his calling to the world, you know, um, how how not to die and those things. And often what I realised is we're looking for professionals often because it's almost you've got to get a tick in the box to say something. Now, I may be a psychologist, and would that go rights and responsibilities and, and hopefully a training and an objectivity and a knowledge base that gets me to ask certain questions and evaluate things. But you're a psychologist too. You're an everyday psychologist making sense of human behavior. If we mandate that Carly can't actually talk about the human condition unless she's a psychologist, what is that about? In the same way that you and I can talk about health, we may not be able to give professional advice on that. Right. Because that's not our area of expertise and we haven't gone through that training and um, assessment. But what we can do is actually point people in the direction of people who have done that. Right. And so what I like about Mark Donadue is we're, we're coming together and asking those questions about health, immune systems. What is a virus? What is a vaccine? Who are these doctors? What is censorship? all within the milieu of, a, you know, a, a second stage of dystopia. So it's second, it's veganpsychologist.com second stage. And that second is with the two and all the recordings are there. We're going to get guest speakers on there, you know, not to have a position on it, but to, to actually say, we're going to give you those links to those sense of videos. Because yeah. if we give our power away to bodies that we know have lied to us that Mm -hmm. tell the world to eat a diet that is or a multi-billion dollar pharmaceutical industry then we are giving away our power and we animals won't have a say in this by any means so be brave vegans ask the questions live in the anxiety you know be be generous to each other we're all struggling with this new existential reality and let's as carly says uh, of consciously clueless let's create something different (laughs) Well, and I think that what you just described made me think of how it's conversations like that 
that feel like they will actually unite people on different, maybe it's political spectrums, ideological spectrums, whatever it is on different sides, because I think what, at least what's happening in the U.S. is there is this kind of questioning happening. There's this questioning of what is real, what is not. And if that can be this uniter for people who are vegan or not vegan or whatever it is, whatever movement you're a part of, I think that's pretty powerful. And that's when people and systems in power get nervous and start censoring, right? Because if people that usually fight and don't agree on things are both saying, wait, is this real? Is this true? Is this good information? That's pretty scary. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's this censorship is happening by technology companies, you know, and um, and, and the media is, I'm, I'm actually, I was watching a video the other day. Again, it's, I believe it's probably been censored by now. And it was a Spanish doctor and was talking about, about the hospitals aren't full here. The, you know, we're not overwhelming women with beds. Well, what are you talking about? Yes, people have got ill. They've had a viral flu in this way. However, you know, we're finding with these treatments, they're recovering and they're, they're the vulnerable people as they always are with any viral flu. And, and I'm not advising on that at all. But what was scary is, and it was scary, is the person doing the interview was challenging the doctor on medical issues. She said, where have you been? Can't you see people are dying in the street? And he said, I'll tell you where I've been. I've been in the hospital at the front line. Where have you been? You've been in the studio. And mm. suddenly there was a voiceover that, as because it was part of an interview panel, someone said, I think we're losing this argument. Can you draw it back? And that wasn't meant to be said. And so, but when did uh, Anchorman or Anchorwoman start questioning doctors about health issues? Right. Don't they say, look, where's your evidence? Where's the scientist? This doctor says this, this one says this. And that's what we're coming up against. Um, I encourage people to, to look at things like thehighwire.com, also LondonReal.tv, again, mm. been totally deplatformed, um, having the most wonderful interviews, not only just on health and the issues at the moment, been going on for 10 years, this wonderful, robust platform that then had a, a speaker on there who questioned the narrative mm -hmm. and was suddenly... You can't even search for it at the moment. You need to know that it's LondonReal.tv, private platforms. Now, whenever, if somebody's inciting hate, of course, Carly, you know, I think we have to have some, you know, for the benefit of us all, that's not a good, you know, right. good thing. Right. However, this is who's going to play God here about what should be discussed. Mm. And if we feel someone's a bit of a wacko, as words have been used in some of these interviews, well, let them make a fool of themselves. Right. If you're throwing the might of, of, you know, people that are spending, in the case of London Real, and I'm not here to make a big polit political thing, but just to, to wake us up, really, is he was spending $50,000 a month on Facebook advertising to get people to come to these this platform where he also does business courses and gets people to run their own um, podcasts and shows and, and ventures. He was, they literally deplatformed him. Well, $50,000 in advertising is a huge amount of money. What, what was the interview that we didn't want people to see? And I think that's where we've got to say, it's not whether, and there's a lot of things I don't agree with what he says or his speakers, but I do agree and fight to the end of people's right to say it. And if mm -hmm. we're being censored, people being censored, we definitely need to know what's being said because we're adults. We should be able to decide and evaluate and, and seek out what's going on. Well, I think that comes back to something you said is um, not teaching people what to think, but teaching people how to think. Yeah. That critical thinking skill that I, um, 
believe gets lost sometimes because we are so indoctrinated in this system of just being fed information and taking it as face value and moving on because it's easier and that's what we've been taught to do. But just even saying how to ask the questions and why it's important to question things. And what I like what you just said is that you don't necessarily agree with everything he's saying. And your point is, but he should be able to say it. And I think that is a lot of what's going on right now is um, people from both sides are standing up for people being able to say what they want on their side, but not on the other side. And that uniting factor could be like, we're no, we want everyone to be able to speak and then we can make our own decisions. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's interesting just, and I'll try and do it from my memory because um, I was on a webinar yesterday is, you know, if people are in fear, you know, oh my gosh, is this a deadly virus? We've got this pandemic. We're, you know, locking everyone down. And there was a bit of research done in July, 2020 and um, by a company called Kesk CNC. And it's like a global strategic communications company. Okay. And it took about a thousand people across five countries. And um, I haven't got this in front of me, so I'm working from memory here. Mm-hmm. I think it was France, UK, America, Germany, and Sweden. Okay. And it asked two questions. It said, number one, how many people do you think have tested positive for coronavirus? Um, and the second question was, of those people tested globally, um, sorry, in your country of those, um, how many do you think have died? Now, the first question, how many people do you think have been tested positive, i.e. infected? Firstly, the word infected is very frightening to us. It's like mm-hmm. someone has an infection. We've got a gangrenous wound. All it means is that a virus has entered the body. They right. enter the body every day. That's how our robust immune systems deal with things. But the language is frightening, isn't it? Oh, infected. Oh, my goodness. Someone's going to be really sick. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily true. It was actually um, 20 to 46 times higher, people believed, than it actually is, okay, oh, wow. in those countries. The most frightening one, when we really look at the our perception of risk when there's a lot of fear around, how many people have died of those tested? So they've already got the numbers wrong. People believe that 100 to 300% more, more people had died than actually had died from this. Bearing in mind, we've also got a test that doesn't measure what it's measuring and a virus that has never according to what's called conscious postulate, um, and this is where you need to, we need to look at these doctors, to actually scientifically study this and separate it and actually mm-hmm. say this is what is cause and effect. To give some perspective for that, it means that in America alone, and they might have adjusted in the last week, people think out of 300 million, that the 25.6 million people have died. In other words, 10%. That's 10%, isn't it? Yes. Now, if you thought 10% of people were dying, one in 10, you would be afraid to leave your home. Actually, at that time it was done, two weeks ago, it wasn't um, 26 million, it was 155,000. Okay, so we've got to, but if this is what the media is constantly saying, they're saying, oh my gosh, all these cases. A case is someone who tested positive. They're not sick, they're asymptomatic necessarily. They might people is wondering the more tests we do, the higher the numbers. That doesn't mean people are getting sick. It doesn't mean they're going to die. And but the effect of lot, all these lockdowns, all these lost businesses in Australia alone, we believe in the last six months, 
and I know this because I'm tapping into the Australian Psychological Society and whatever, we believe that the suicides resulting from loss of jobs, lockdowns, is six times the number it is in Australia of the 547 people that have allegedly died from this specific thing. You know, they've died from certain things, but it's, you see, this is where we've got to ask questions because um, why isn't the information getting out so we can go, oh, wow. So if it isn't that, hallelujah, if that doesn't mean they're infected. But the media is saying, oh, my gosh, this is really dire. This is what's happening. These aren't medical people. These aren't professionals concerned about our health. This is a multi-billion dollar business that is playing a certain tune. We cannot, as vegans, allow that to happen. We've got to keep asking people to say, what else don't we know, so that we can you know, we've the ones we've been waiting for. We've got that. Right. We've asked the biggest question about things hidden in plain sight. Now we keep, keep asking. We lose our voice. There'll be none for animals. Well, and I think what I hear that you're saying is it's not that there's not a virus. It's not that there hasn't been effects or haven't been families affected or deaths or any of that. But that information should come from the people on the front lines of yes. that pandemic and not from the media because the media is obviously not allowing us to receive the information that's true. And it's just creating a lot of fear. It's fear mongering and the mental health surrounding it. I live in a really small community and it's hard in a small rural area to have resources and when small businesses close and all of the things that a lot of people are dealing with, um, there's a lot of consequences to that fear mongering. And it's, it's hard to know, it's hard to know um, what questions to ask sometimes it's overwhelming. Absolutely. That's right. And I always just call it little chinks of consciousness, meet people where they're at, so doubt in their mind and share some of these, um, these new things that are happening. I mean, um, there is a new documentary out that we talk about on one of the webinars is called Plandemic. Mm. Um, you won't find it. I'll have to give you a link to put in the thing. Pandemic in Doctor Nation. And okay. it's really can making the connection. And it's all been censored. You won't be able to find it. Um, you can find it on LondonReal.tv. It's actually talking about links between the pharmaceutical companies, technology companies, CNC, um, and censorship. Um, mm. And some really, you know, it's an investigative journalist that's done a, a balanced web and, um, um, documentary why is this being censored? This is information about these different bodies um, and what we're actually receiving. And then you've got strategists in there who have worked with connections with getting a narrative out there in other areas of life. And he's, he's, he's actually interviewed throughout this. And I'd like to be able to watch that because it gets people to have doubt in their mind that, oh, well, maybe everything we hear through mainstream or social media is the, probably the worst platform we can. Mm-hmm. If that's all being censored and we are only seeing one thing, how can we possibly be informed? So therefore we must take the time to look outside, but actually maybe that's not coincidence. Maybe that's a deliberate ploy for whatever reason. So what advice do you give to people who are at that point where they're questioning things and they have this moment of, okay, I need to ask, what else do I not know? And it's overwhelming and you kind of just want to bury your head back in the sand because it would be easier. What, what advice do you have as, as a vegan psychologist? 
Sure, we'll always put our own oxygen mask on first. You know, we're not responsible for the whole of everything that's happening in the world, but we mm-hmm. do have a part to play. It is not okay for any of us at the moment to say, I'm just going to, as I heard someone say the other day, I'm just going to close my door till it's all over. Well, unfortunately, that all over, who are we leaving that to? Um, <laughs> to make those decisions mm. for what is the for what is the best. Look at what's happened in our world so far. Right. That's not looking such a good picture. So number one is have exquisite self-care. You know, that is always the way it is, you know, the whole food plant-based diet. Cannot stress it enough. It changes your life. Yes, I'm having pizza tonight, which is great. But as a whole, you have to have a whole food plant-based diet to be mm-hmm. energized. We talk about this actually on the webinar as well. The link between diet and mood, the yes. link between antibiotics and, and depression. There's robust research out there. Um, you know, it's, there is a difference between having a junk food vegan diet and mm-hmm. a whole food plant-based diet. And once we go into the animal diet, huge um, cause and effect with depression and, and what people are actually eating. Mm-hmm. So getting that, getting exercise, getting sunlight, getting out, getting fresh air, drinking lots of water, having people around you that are supportive and mm. having a playing your part in the world, making nudging in the direction each day. And then asking bigger questions. Don't get on social media and just have it as an echo chamber of just reinforcing our own beliefs. And I, you know, I say that publicly to remind myself to do that too. Right. Is go and look at, they're not alternatives. It's like, you know, it's like allopathic medicine versus complementary, as we call it. Well, some of those complementary methods are 10,000 years old. <laughs> not, we call it complementary because that's another political reason for that, to make it look as if it's a, an alternative. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so change our language, ask questions. I mean, I've mentioned some of those links to people is londonreal.tv. There's tens of interviews on there. Doctors there, Dr. Kaufman, Dr. Buttar, um, you know, Dr. Judy Mikovits is... Don't go in and just think they've got the answer and go and have a look at those interviews with the frontier front, frontline doctors, you know, the Corbett report and the highwire.com mm. is be curious, open your mind and go, okay, I'm just going to gather information and have convers and open up conversations with people and say, Hey, look, I don't know the truth. You know, there is your truth, my truth. And then there's another truth. Let's gather information and do a little bit every day to widen that chink of awareness because we don't know what's going on. It's, right. it's so complex. But um, biggest thing for me is if it's censorship, if we're being censored about things that are so fundamental to our everyday ability to speak out and, and run our lives, then if we lose that ability, someone's going to choose for us. And I've got a feeling it isn't the most conscious vegan that's going to be choosing for us. <laughs> I think that was one of the most unsettling things when you learn about a lot of the specifically health and food studies, they did a great job of this in the Game Changers of showing who's funding the studies that say eggs are the number one way to get your protein in this and omegas. Who's funding this? And you go down to the bottom and the very bottom and, the, you know, funded by the American Poultry Association or something. Yep. And I think that is so unsettling for people who have never thought yeah. about that. And that ties into this too of kind of following the money that's exactly it and i think it's i don't think as vegans we can think of the average person how dark some corporations or societies above corporations are can be and we, we get a taste of it when we see the horror of what happens to animals 
for nothing more inconsequential than power and, and a dollar. It's mm -hmm. like, and I'm not talking necessarily about slaughterhouse workers here. You know, the vast majority of slaughterhouse workers from my research are are part of this system of oppression. They're people that are minorities. They're people absolutely. who um, have a lot of immigrants from, in the U.S. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, the suffering. I think Jane Unchained did a wonderful interview recently where there was a woman in a slaughterhouse that they said it had COVID-19 and she could be our grandmother or a mother. Mm. And this woman, you can't imagine what she's already been through. And then as a process of this, is is suffering from, you know, everyday wet mark, markets called, um, you know, slaughterhouses, is the trauma people feel. And then they're pilloried as being this awful person. And I think it's very easy from a position of privilege to mm. say, well, I would never do that job. Well, when your kids have no food and there's no jobs and you can't speak the language that is required in your country, you maybe do a lot of things, you know? Um, so let's, they're not the people to be angry at. They're the people to be yes. angry at is way above um, that system of oppression. Checking our privilege within this movement, I think is really important and really happening more and more now. Um, when I have interviewed vegans of color, that intersection of race and food and veganism there was a lot of things that made me stop and think as a white woman in this country that I can't just scream from the mountaintops how easy it is to do this um, because it's not for everyone. And that's a part of the larger systems. And, you know, those, those um, who's making the decisions and who's kind of running the show. And so it's, I think it's good within the movement to have people that are saying, whoa, 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 whoa. You've got to check yourself on that. We can't be mad at each other within this. We have to think about yes. the bigger picture. Absolutely. And it's very easy for our prejudice. I call it the myths. I mean, the, the companion to dystopia is myths of choice, why people want change and what we can do about it. Oh, you've got it. You know, yes, I've got it. I haven't it. read it, it yet. I just got it. And I'm so excited. I literally was skimming through it before this and I had to stop because our interview was starting. I'm so yeah, excited oh, to fantastic. read it. But, it's, you know, there is a myths are unquestioned assumptions. And mm -hmm. so we might assume is, ah, oh, we have privilege. We're white, say the person who's saying that as a vegan. Mm -hmm. Therefore, there are two issues, black and white issues. Yes. There are a lot of black leaders coming out at the moment and actually speaking out against how the Black Lives Matter issue has been hijacked by white people to actually for their own agenda. This is how dark it can actually get. And I'm mm. not saying that is or that isn't. But when you actually look at, I recently saw a video only last couple of days ago of a black leader walking through Baltimore and said, hey, look, you want to come and look at what, how much um, certain political parties are saying they're here to support us. They pull us out every four years when there's an election, and they, but they're not doing anything for us. They're using us as an example to influence our communities. And then you go, oh my gosh, what else don't we know? So, yes. you know, instead of having this black, white, male, female, you know, obviously there are systems of oppression. We know this and there's, you know, that have been used. And one of them is color. We mm -hmm. know that. However, it's not as, as literally um, as distinct as that. And so really keep an open mind. Don't assume that everything to do with Black Lives Matter is black people, you know, or, or white people actually supporting that movement. They people, and as I say, it takes black people in that particular thing to come out and say, you know, you're using us. This is not, you're using it for your own agenda and you'll drop us. As, and I'm not saying that's what's happening, but we've got to be open to the possibility 
that we may be well-meaning and want a more democratic thing for all people, but actually I think it's because we can't imagine how dystopian this could be. And I don't want to alarm vegans is number one, get our own house in order, have good people around you, ask questions, but most importantly, be of service every day to wake people up. Mm. Is it a podcast? Is it creating vegan cupcakes? Is it on the world? <laughs> is it running? What else don't we know? Podcasts, or is it just talking to your family and actually getting the chinks of consciousness? All of us are needed and we each have to do something for that. We're not responsible for the whole lot, but each the whole is made up of the, the, the sum of the parts. Yeah, thinking about one thing a day you can do, whether it's in veganism or whether it's just something you really care about, I think also makes us feel like we can still keep going because sometimes I get caught in that feeling that every day I have to do it all. Like today is the day I solve the world's problems and then I am not only disappointed and disheartened, but I'm tired. You know, I'm really, because that's just not a realistic expectation that I'm setting for myself. Um, so that one thing a day, I think is really, really crucial. Absolutely. I, could you talk for just, I know we're kind of running out of time here. I could talk about this stuff with you forever, but, um, could you talk a little bit about myths of choice? Because the tagline for the book, why people won't change and what you can do about it. I mean, that drew me in. <laughs> yeah well it, it grew out of the first book Vistopa. i've written six, six about six books actually but these are the ones specifically more on veganism uh, well actually not just about veganism miss the choices for anyone who um just wants to real you know what is it that makes people not change their minds in often in in light of all the facts and information i mean we've got all the facts for people to be vegan all the facts all the evidence and they still don't change and right as people were contacting me and they said, look, I've worked, I'm working through my dystopia. I have to live with the burden of knowing, but I found a place within that, that I can move that anguish into positive change. And yet why people want, why wouldn't they change? You know, are they just selfish? Are they, is it my communication? And mm. you know, there's elements of that as well, but I then wanted to go deeper based on this more existential principle is, you know, we, we are in our world and we are subject to social and cultural myths, unquestioned assumptions that tell us what we should do, ought to do, must do. That, and we're seeing at the moment, well, the health department wouldn't lie to us, would they? They, they had no way they could do that. So that is, a sh there's no way we have a sedimented belief that nobody could do that. In other words, that is an unquestioned assumption, whether it's right or wrong is, is right up for grabs. Is So I want to say to people, we've got to take a more sophisticated view um, to identify the social and cultural limitations of our own um, way of looking at the world, because then we can get a glimpse into theirs and try to break through those, those myths. So I, I've identified eight different myths, the group myth, the certainty myth, the morality myth, the identity myth, which is, are the key ones that I see operate in terms of how we make sense of our lives. There's lots more of myths, of course. And mm -hmm. got 50 exercises in the book that get us to see our own blind spots, which we all have, to get us to look at exercise of where we believe something to be solid and to have a definite essence, and to us to actually live with, you know, to question that. When we do that, we can actually tap into other people's blind spots, use clever language to linguistic mastery, as I call it, to, to wake people up and get those little breaks in the in those mm -hmm. myths that's what's limiting people to actually stop having their eyes open we we crack through certain myths in becoming vegan and i put together a free four-part video program 
um, questioning these myths to give people a little bit of flavor to get the haha moment. And you can get that through veganpsychologist.com forward slash myths, which is M-Y-T-H-S, which is veganpsychologist.com forward slash myths. I will put a lot. I'm going to have to um, follow up with you for a few links for you to share so I can put them in the show notes. That would be great to share. What I like about that too is that it makes us examine our blind spots, like you said, which I think takes that um, feeling of superiority that can come at times when we're like, we know this thing and we woke up and you haven't yet. And it's easy to do that at first. I definitely fell into that trap um, of privilege, but acknowledging your own blind spots reminds you of where you're at and then connects and makes you see the other person as a human, (laughs) as a fellow human that's operating in this system that we all are trying to um, muddle through. So I really like that. I'm really excited to dive into this book. Fantastic. Well, I hope you enjoy it and I hope it gives a tool for us to, to break through those, those little elements and get people becoming part of the solution. And then, you know, as my dear friend James Asby says, he says, you know, um, it's, people you know it's it's good people doing bad things and when we come together mm-hmm. that and not be superior and think we're all vegan born again and everyone else is a carnist yes. and a bad person they're not we were equally in those situations our job is to wake people up yes absolutely good people doing bad things to not label someone because of this one thing as a good or bad human being i think is really important and helps us connect better So one last question before you go, Um, what do you do? You kind of identified this, but I just want to make sure, what do you do when you're feeling overwhelmed or you need to tap back into that consciousness? Like what's your go-to thing to slow down? Absolutely. Well, I put in, I don't teach anybody anything that I'm not prepared to do myself. So Mm -hmm. I put in daily, um, putting credit back in my physical, emotional bank is um i do yoga i've done that for 40 years i don't go to classes only occasionally to sort of make sure i'm doing the best i can do but i do that at home and i've done Mm -hmm. that it's easy to do 10 to 15 minutes a day three or four days a week keep it up for 40 years then actually just do hour and a half classes and then stop after a while Um, right i have a whole food plant-based diet primarily I don't have a television. I haven't had one for 17 years. Mm. <laughs> it doesn't mean I don't watch programs and series. I do, but I, I, I stay away from as much of the advertising and the programming. Um, I get in touch with nature. I live out in the Blue Mountains in Australia. So I go for long dog walks um, and be around animals and uh, yes. be around good people, you know, um, and have something beyond your vegan form of outreach. Is it cooking? Is it gardening? Is it reading? So that you replenish. The best thing sometimes we can do for animals is to take time out. Just say Cosmo barking in the background. Absolutely. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> um, good timing. Yeah, fantastic timing. And, you know, find that place. Keep thinking you're putting these things back into your life and get off social media. Don't be on there all the time. It's it drains us. It's an addictive process, which was set up deliberately. There's documentaries on that one, too. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, don't be constantly jerked around literally by other people um posts and things and and brought into the fear make time to do it limit your interaction with that see it as a way to share valuable when you share something you're doing it from consciousness or from violence 
and champion other people. Be generous, be curious. Um, absolutely. So nature, health, animals, um, and being finding your contribution in the world. That's and beautiful. Sleep. sleep is essential. Yes, <laughs> sleep. I'm running on no sleep. So that is a key one. Um, is there anything that you want to share that I haven't given you space to share or that I haven't asked you yet? No, I don't think so. And, um, you know, just thank you to everyone listening. You know, the fact that you are attracted to this type of program, you know, means you are part of the solution. And thank you. Thank you for everything you're doing, all of you. And, and Carly, putting this great show together and look forward to um, hearing more, more of the interviews. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope we can connect again in the future, maybe after I finish Myths of Choice. <laughs> that would be wonderful. And uh, maybe we talk about second stage dystopia. <laughs> yes, I'm excited to look that up too. I will be following up with you for some links and everything to put in the show notes. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining me. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Consciously Clueless. There was so much information in this episode. If you have to go back and listen to it again, like I'm going to, I would totally understand. There are a ton of notes in the show notes of this episode because she mentioned so many great resources. If you have any questions or anything you would love to talk about after this episode, never hesitate to reach out to me. If you want to help this podcast grow, share it with your friends, text it, send it on social media, whatever it is, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and you might just be read as the review of the week. Until next time.